You are listening to the In Perspective Weekly Podcast with Bob Branco and Peter Outchul. Hello again, everybody. Welcome once again to In Perspective. I am Bob Branco. This is episode 271. With me today is going to be Becky Davidson. She's going to be our temporary co-host because our normal co-host, Peter Alchel, is going to be our guest for today's program. We'll get to that momentarily. Becky, thank you very much for taking the time to appear on In Perspective today. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, so before we continue, allow me to present some thank yous and some acknowledgments. We start out with Raymond Gay, our producer. He helps behind the scenes with our program. I also want to thank Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place. They put our programs up on bulletin board number 15 on their chat line. Thank you very much. I also want to thank the media outlets for airing our show, as well as Jacqueline Sylvia who is our website designer. She archives our podcasts on my website, which is www.brancoevents.com. I thought what we would do today is talk about abortion, common ground, and all the issues somewhere in the middle of that as well. A lot of this stems from the overturning of Roe versus Wade a few weeks ago. And this is why we brought Peter in as a guest, because a lot of what Peter does professionally has to do with creating common ground. In fact, he's written a book called Riding Elephants, Creating Common Ground Where Contention Rules. I thought I would give that book a plug, Peter. Thank you, Bob. You're welcome. Even though we're not talking about the book directly, your topic has to do with pro-life versus pro-choice and how both of those particular groups advocate for their own causes. So without further ado, I'm going to defer to Becky Davidson to start us off. Becky? Well, thanks, Bob, and hi, everyone. Um, It's good to be here this afternoon. Um, This is a difficult issue to talk about. There's It's fraught with all kinds of emotions and, and all of those kinds of things, as everyone certainly well knows. And so what Peter has done and is doing is actually quite remarkable. So um, we're going to start with just some basic questions here, Peter. And uh, Peter and I have known each other for, what, 23 years now, I think? Thereabouts. Like it's been a while. Yeah, yeah. something like that. It's, yeah. it's been a while. Actually, we met very shortly after I started working for Guiding Eyes for the Blind. So um, anyway... Um, it gives me great pleasure to introduce Peter, who who really needs no introduction, but um, just to be here and be able to have this discussion with him and hear the answers to these questions. So, Peter, let's start at the beginning. Um, how did you become involved in the abortion issue? Well, I was living in New York City back in the late 90s, and I was doing lots of gig stuff, you know, with the gig economy before the gig economy became famous, working on three or four different things simultaneously. And all my uh, projects were ending through at the same time. And I know nothing on the horizon. So I was looking for my next job. And I saw an advertisement in the Washington Post that said something like seeking somebody to assist pro-choice and pro-life advocates 
to, to work together. You know, please send your resume to this email address. And I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting. Uh, cause I, cause most of my work has involved, uh, working with people of differing perspectives and backgrounds to get some good work done. So I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. Let me, I'll apply for the job. Well, darn if I didn't get the job. So that meant <laughs> I, I had to move from New York City to Washington, D.C. and to work for an organization called Search for Common Ground, which which views itself as the world's biggest conflict resolution organization. And they, they uh, were working on a project at the time doing exactly what the ad said, encouraging pro-life and pro-choice activists to dialogue together. And when they could work towards, uh, think, uh, towards projects with, uh, or aims with, with common aims that were abortion related. And, uh, when I got down to DC, they discovered, I mean, I discovered that what, what, what was going on is they, they had a number of different organizations w- working on this, uh, goal and they the there was one sort of overarching organization and it was called the network for life and choice the network for life and choice and that's the organization that i helped support for while while i was there so that's how i got started so if i may ask uh, i do have i'm sorry becky but i do have a follow-up question for peter since he mentioned the term that many of our listeners may not know could you tell us what a gig economy is well, the gig economy is when people don't have full-time work, but they're doing three or four things at the same time to make the same amount of money. So at the time I was, I was working on, uh, you know, three or four different things, none of which I was, I was, I was, I was an employee for. Uh, and that's what the gig economy and there's more of that going on now than there was back then, but that's what I was doing back then. All right. Becky. Okay. So Peter, talk a little bit, um, even a lot if you want to. Uh, about how the uh, network for life and choice actually worked. What, how, what was, how did that develop and what, how did it work? So the, the network, network for life and choice consisted of, <clears throat> I want to say at the time when I was there, six or seven <clears throat> different dialogue groups across the country. Uh, and each dialogue group consisted of uh, you know, four or five members each of pro-life or pro-choice, uh, from the camp, if you will. And when I say pro-life or pro-choice people, I don't mean sort of your average citizen. I'm talking about people who ran clinics where abortions took place. I'm talking about people who actually protested outside these clinics. You know, these were the hardcore people who, who, uh, you know, uh, were, we're, we're really committed to the issue, whatever side they were on. And so there was a, there was one, for example, in Buffalo, there was a pro-life and pro-choice one in New Jersey, one in St. Louis, one in, um, uh, DC, the DC area. And there are other, others I don't remember off the top of my head, but they were all over the country. And each of these groups met on a regular basis, probably once a month and dialogued about something related to abortion. And had specific rules that, that govern the dialogues, uh, basically saying, you know, respect each other. One of the, one of the, one of the ways that it happened was they, uh, it, it was insisted that they use the term that the other side approved of or appreciated. So it was pro-life and pro-choice. It wasn't, for example, anti-choice, which is one, the term that the pro-choice folks likes to use. It wasn't pro-abortion. 
It wasn't, you know, fill the blank. There are lots of these sort of snarky terms that each side uses for each other. But if you want to be in that group, you had to use the term that the other side wanted to be used, which it was either pro-life or pro-choice. And that in itself was a major accomplishment for some of these groups because they were so used to using the snarky terms that it took them a while to get used to that. Anyway, so I'm going to, if you don't mind, Becky, I want to say a brief word about how these projects got started because I actually started a group in New York City. And so you'll get a sort of sense as to how the project worked. So um, the second week I was there, uh, we got a call from somebody who ran uh, a crisis pregnancy center in New York City who was sort of disgusted with the way the abortion issue was, was going on and wanted to start a group. She'd, uh, she'd heard about us through, I don't know how, and through our website. So I talked to her and she wanted to, she wanted to start a group. So I talked to her and she was terrific. Just a wonderful person. Did a lot of great work, um, running this crisis pregnancy center. And for those who don't know, the crisis pregnancy centers are those who try to support people who choose not to have abortions and they do, uh, they, they do what they can to support people to get through a crisis pregnancy, which might be some counseling. It might mean providing some financial support. It might mean, uh, helping people find that support in their community and there are these, um, there, there are these organizations throughout the country doing just that. Anyway, so, um, uh, this crisis pregnancy center person called me, called me and said, Hey, can you help me start a group? And so I said, sure. So the first, the first job then for me was to find somebody who would be willing to pair with her who was pro-choice. So I waited a pro-life person, me to find a pro-choice person. I did. So the first person I called was a, uh, I had just gotten my social work degree, MSW from Columbia University. And one of my professors was worked, used to work for Planned Parenthood. And, you know, I knew who she was. She knew who I was. We liked each other. And so I called her and she said, Hey, Peter, how are you doing? And I said, Hey, I'm doing great. I need your help. And I explained to her what I was doing. I said, do you know somebody on the, who might be willing to work with me on the pro-choice side? And she went into a whole tirade about how I was a traitor to the social work cause and how I was ruining my profession's reputation and on and on and on and slammed the phone down in my ear. And it was, it was really sobering because I, you know, I knew about, you know, common ground and I knew that it was challenging sometimes, but I never realized at that, until that moment, how controversial such a thing could be, you know. Uh, she refused to, to work with me and never would talk to me again afterwards. Anyway, I finally found, did find somebody, uh, to, to pair with her. And so, so we had a pro life and pro choice person. And, um, the next step was I said to both of them, okay, get together for, for coffee or for a meal. Uh, but do, do, do me a favor and do not talk about abortion. Just get to know each other. Talk about, you know, what you, uh, you know, what you do, your family, what your hobbies are, anything but abortion. And once you do that, call me and tell me how things went. So I got a call from one of them saying it was a great conversation. We talked for two hours. Uh, we learned a lot about each other. We have lots of things in common. Uh, I said, terrific. So do you want to continue? They said, yes. So I went to New York City in a snowstorm. I remember this. Of course. Of course. <laughs> and, and, um, they met at some, uh, oh, and I said, your next task is to find three, three or four other people who you think would be interested in carrying on this dialogue. 
So we all met in this swanky law office of all places, you know, that, who, who, who catered in this wonderful food. And so we were all yammering away and eating food and sort of getting to know each other. And then I made a little speech about what, what this would entail. And essentially what, what people committed to was taking part in like five or six dialogue sessions over a six month period. And they would talk about abortion under this guidance I talked about before, which primarily meant being respectful of each other, um, being curious and not preachy, uh, and using the, 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 you know, the terms that people preferred using, you know, another round was like that. And because I was in DC, <clears> time, <throat> um, I brought on a facilitator who I knew, um, loving in New York, who was, who was willing to do that. So after that meeting was over, I said, your next task is, is to find a few other people to fill in your roster so that by the time the thing started, they had 10 people on each side, 10 pro-life and pro-choice people. And just before the thing started, I got a phone call from the pro-life person. She said, we, we have the people, but Peter, I want to tell you something. I said, what's that? She said, we decided, both of us, that we didn't want any men to be part of this group. And I said, okay, uh, can you explain why? And she said, yeah, we, we think that men, for the most part, have really been a destructive force in trying to have these dialogues and having this abortion conversation. And we believe that um, I think having just women will, will help us with the, with the dialogue. I said, okay, that's absolutely fine with me. Um, I'll talk about that later, but that was a real sort of eye opener for me because, you know, I, I'm a guy. I thought, you know, we, we guys are reasonably smart people. We can do this thing too, but she decided they, they, both the pro-life and pro-trust person decided that it, they would be better off without men. Now the facilitator I brought on board was a male and they were okay with him. He was very good, but they didn't want any people in the dialogue group who, who were male. So, uh, they had the, um, uh, so, I sort of took, took part in the first dialogue, just sort of waved the flag and, and, and sort of sat there and welcomed people. And the facilitator did a fabulous job over the, the life of the project. And after the project was over, and this is what happened with, with every other group around the country, we said, okay, you've had this group. Do you want to continue? And they said, yes, we were, you know, this is great. We're having a good time. We'd like to do this or, and, and they were, they clearly were, were having interesting conversations. I said, well, is there, is there a project? Uh, that you think you could work on together now that you know each other. Is there a project that both, that you and they, uh, both, both sides could agree on working on that was abortion related and, and other, and other parts of the country, it, it, it could be things like teen pregnancy because both sides were concerned about that mm-hmm. subject. It could have been the topic of, of adoption, which is, which is a, which was an issue of, of importance to both groups. It could have been an issue on finding better ways for, for the community to support women and children. Because you, you, you learned that, um, abortions reduced if the economy was more stable and people felt that they were, they were more supported. So, so the city folks talked about it and said, you know what we would like to do? And I said, what's that? They said, well, do you remember, um, there, there are these programs where in health class in, in, in school where you're given a baby, they're given a baby to look after over the weekend as a doll. And if the baby, you know, screams, you have to take care of it. That's all this whole thing that, that goes on. And, um, and you, and you, you sort of, it's a, it's a role play that you're, that you're learning how to be a, a parent of sort of a, of, of a, of a, of a, of a, of a baby doll that screamed and yelled and all hours of the night. And I don't know exactly how this thing is programmed, but apparently it's quite realistic and, and how it can be really frustrating to be a, the mother of a, of a newborn. And so they said, we, we think this would be incredibly valuable. 
for, 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 for young people, uh, girls especially, to get a sense of what it's like to have a, to have an infant, you know, um, cause it, it might help them make better choices so they won't get pregnant in the first place. So we said, okay, that's a great project. We're happy to support that, except that we couldn't support it because our funding ran out just before they wanted to start the project. So it was very, very sad and very frustrating, but that's the way these projects work. They, they, there are the dialogue group. They talk for a while and then they try to find joint action that they could work towards accomplishing. And, and so, uh, you know, and all across the country, that, that's what was happening. So that's how the, that's how the project worked overall. What, what, what year did this start? Do you remember? Uh, the project started around 1996 or so or 95. Okay. I came on board in 98. Okay. All right. So it was, it was I lived in, yeah, you lived in Buffalo. I lived in the, I lived in Buffalo until 1999 and, uh, had, as some may know, had been involved, uh, in the issue prior to that, mostly in the earlier nineties, late eighties and earlier nineties. But and, and so Becky, Peter, Becky, you and I knew a lot ahead. of the players in Buffalo. That's all I'll say about it. We, we <laughs> did know a lot of the players in yeah. Buffalo and, yeah, so. uh, you know, I had reasons for um, backing out of what was going on there. Buffalo was was a hotbed, and interestingly enough, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, uh, a lot of the news reporting was what's going on in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. So, you know, well, but uh, yeah, uh, and Buffalo is a fascinating place. Uh, it is. It, it is. It was absolutely yeah. fascinating, and and uh, in fact, uh, when I was there, Becky, I'm sure you remember this. Uh, uh, a doctor who performed abortion was 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 assassinated, yeah. Um, uh, and that was a major part of my work mm-hmm. during the last part of my uh, to try to get the community together to to yeah. to, to do and, reproductive stuff as a result. And a lot of us that had been involved in the in the movement in Buffalo disassociated ourselves when that happened. We just wanted no part of that violence, and you know, I, I don't know if maybe we saw it coming. At some point or not, but I, 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 that, that's not how this should go. So, um, there, the, there are extremists on both sides. So, um, and I think it's probably even more true now. I mean, that, that was 25 years, 20, almost 30 years ago that Slepian got shot. Yeah. Um, it's a different world. It's a, it's a different so, world. Yeah. So why, uh, why did the program end? I mean, I, there are certainly financial reasons, but are there other reasons why that this has not been able to continue? And, and that's an interesting question, Becky. The reason was finances, as you would guess. And uh, part of a, a large part of what I did um, uh, on the project. Well, let, let, me, let me back up. So the, one of the reasons I was hired is that my boss was um, on the verge of getting a three-year contract. Uh, from a large private foundation to work towards this adoption issue. How could uh, adoption be a, a, a better option? Because both the pro-choice pro choice and pro-life side were, um, uh, you know, we're interested in the adoption issue and we're, and we're willing to work together uh, to address the issue. And my boss had been assured that they were going to get funding. So she hired somebody <laughs> to essentially run that project. And the day I was hired, they, they, they turned down the, the money. The funding was turned down. So part of what I was doing was trying to get additional funding. And so um, I was calling and my boss was calling all these private foundations and we never got funding. And the reason, uh, and, and, and here's what happened. When we call, we never once got a return phone call from 
the pro, the, those conservative foundations that were pro-life. They never even bothered to return our phone calls. The pro-choice folks were happy to talk to us. But as one said, we're happy to, to fund you if you can, um, preempt, uh, the pro, the pro-life folks to do what we want them to do. Well, we don't preempt anybody. You know, our goal is to get people to work together on things they want to work on, not to tell the, uh, the pro-life folks, this is what you must do. That's not what we were about. So we, we couldn't get funding. And that's why the, that's why the program ended because trying people, to establish territory. Yeah. Well, well uh, 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 this idea of common ground between the pro-life or pro-choice people was so revolutionary that people didn't want to fund us. That was not the way they wanted the, their funding to be used. And, and it's really a tragedy. Because, um, I think projects like that really made it, made a difference in the nineties and could still make, make a difference now. They could make a huge difference now. And this has become so divisive that it's hard to imagine trying to pull it together, um, the way you were able to do it in the nineties. But I guess, you know, nothing's impossible. I don't know at what point we kind of say, you know, let's, Let's stop this. Let's, let's talk. Let's be reasonable. Let's get compassion back into this issue and politics out of it. Um, that's my view anyway. Yeah. Well, uh, there's something to be said for that. You, you, you can't take politics. You can't take politics fully out of it, but you can, you can, you can, uh, make it less, uh, less destructive. And that's, that's yeah. part of what, what we were trying to do. You know, we were trying to get these people, uh, you know, who were really, one of the things you you learn about these folks when when I first met them, I was kind of intimidated because here were people who really were warriors. They were peaceful warriors for the most part, but they were warriors, and they they had strong opinions and they they had done things that I wasn't quite sure what I thought about. Uh, and and the first time I met some of these folks, I thought, oh God, like, I'm not going to get yelled yelled at on all sides. Not at all. These, these were nice people. I remember. Uh, um, uh, a pro-life person who I met on the bus going somewhere. We were taking a van someplace and, she, and I had my guide dog with me. And she goes, I miss my boxer. She had a boxer and you know, she, my had a dog at the time and she talked a lot about her boxer. I thought, Oh, well, this is a person who is a pro-life activist who's very nice and you can have a reasonable conversation with her. You know, it, it sounded kind of silly, but for me, you know, given what I'd heard about both groups, you know, the fact that you could have those kinds of conversations was, was a, was it was an important thing for me to 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 watch and observe is there anything else you can think of that that you learned from doing this work i learned a lot of things so the 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 first thing i I learned is i want to go back to this whole thing about men and the way men interacted with this issue and we of course had men and women in, in many of these groups and men in our steering committee and women too of course and we men really did not do a good job on, on this issue. The woman, the, the conversations were totally different between the men and the woman. So on the, on the woman's side, they had strong opinions and strong feelings about abortion. But once they got talking, they, they talked with the pregnant person in mind. They sort of understood the challenges that a person with a crisis pregnancy was having. They, they sort of got it. You know, they intuitively understood and they didn't agree on what the answer was necessarily, but they, but they sort of understood the, the, the issue and, and uh, on a on sort of a gut level. The men viewed it as a contest, like a football game. And they, and I, I really do mean that literally it was a contest and there was a winner and there was a loser. And, uh, you know, and, and they, they literally would shout at each other. It was the men who shouted more at each other than the women did. I'm not saying the women didn't shout. 
because they did. But the, but, but the tone was very, very different. The men just never could quite remember that the, there was a woman involved who was in crisis, you know, that they, that seemed to not factor into their conversations. It was all philosophical. And, um, you know, I saw a lot of this in the dialogues that I observed and, and the steering committee that I, that I helped run. And it was, it was really disheartening for me as a guy to observe. Now there are plenty of men who are, um, you know, who, who have some compassion and, and that's, and that's great. But I, I came to the conclusion and still believe that this whole, uh, abortion issue would be much better if we men got out of it and shut up for a while. Now that's not going to happen and it shouldn't, but we men have to learn to do a much better job of remembering that there's a woman out there who's pregnant, who, who's in crisis. Um, so that might was- it be also though that particularly on the pro-life side of it, much of the pro-life, um, interest came out of churches that were predominantly led by men. Yes, I think that's part of it. Um, which I think, you know, you don't necessarily see that on the pro-choice side. No, I, th- I think that's right. I, th- I think there is some truth to that. But it was just it was just astounding to, 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 to watch. It was just astounding mm-hmm. to watch. I'm sure. Um, the, uh, and, 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 I, and I write about that in one of the essays in my book and, and sort of say, hey, you know, essentially, guys, we, we are being really destructive on this issue. doesn't matter which side we land on. We, uh, we, as, we as a gender are not doing a good job, uh, you know, dealing with this issue in, in a productive way. The, the other major thing I learned that I, that I think is really, really important um, is it became really clear to me that the, the issue – the, the the biggest issue that divides pro-life and pro-choice people is not abortion per se. In other words, the morality of abortion. That's not the issue that divides the, the, the biggest issue that divides the two groups. Of course, uh, you know, there, there are divisions that I'm not saying they agree on the morality, morality of abortion. They clearly don't, but that's not the major issue that divides the groups. The major issue that divides the group is the role that government should play. And before you, you, uh, you know, say, Hey, I'm not sure about that. Let me, you know, give you some examples. So there are plenty of pro-choice women who said to me as I was doing this work, Hey, Peter, I believe the woman has, has, has a right to make this decision, but I could never make that decision. That's, you know, that's, I've heard that too. I've heard that too. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, that's, that's choice, right? I, you know, um, I, I, I couldn't do it. But, um, uh, but, uh, you know, I want to support those who, for whatever reason, feel they need to do it. And then there are plenty of people who are pro-life, who identified themselves with pro-life, who, when they became pregnant, crisis pregnancy, had an abortion. Uh, we heard stories like this all over the country. Mm-hmm. A- and, um, they'd have an abortion. And in, and in some cases, they, you know, they'd be protesting outside of, a, of, a, of an abortion, of a clinic where abortions took place. They'd be protesting. They'd sort of sneak in to have an abortion and then they come out and begin and continue the protesting, which was kind of bizarre from my perspective. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but that, but that did go, that did happen. And how much of it, how much of it, Peter, talking about dividing points, did religion play? Well, what I will tell you is the, the, remember I told you there was a pro-choice person in New York City who started the pro-choice group. She, uh, she was in charge of religious, um, activity in the, in the, uh, Planned Parenthood Foundation. 
So they they have a um, they they have a large uh, religious uh, contingent on the pro-choice side, and it's not that they support abortion. They don't, you know, I'm not saying that they uh, that they think a woman all women should have abortions. They just believe that it's, the option should be on the table, uh, and uh, and and that um, the woman should make the choice based on medical and if if they choose uh, religious uh, convictions, uh, and that and again that the government should stay out as much as possible. And that's, that, you know, that's what they believe. And, and um, so the other thing I, I, I want to say, uh, the other thing that I sort of learned, Becky, and this is the third thing, um, is um, how hard it is to do this work for people on both sides of the issue, sort of, you know, the activists, because they feel, you know, you know, folks in their group say, hey, you're betraying us. You're talking to the enemy. You're talking to the other side. And why are you using, uh, you know, uh, pro-life and not, you know, uh, uh, anti-choice? You know, why are you using enemy terms? You know, and and, um, and, and this became really clear to me. Uh, I was listening to a religious conservative Christian radio station who had a uh, talk show. And they were interviewing a, a, a pro-life woman, very strongly pro-life, but did a lot of sort of dialogues. Uh, we weren't involved with her. I never heard this person before or since, but she sort of got this whole dialogue process and insisted on using the term pro-choice and got lambasted for it, not only by the callers, but by the hosts of the show. How dare you use that term? You know, and, and it was really sort of hostile. And then just to give you an example on the other side, I recently got engaged with a with a discussion uh, of the Columbia uh, pro choice Planned Parenthood group, and I and uh, and I was talking about the work I was doing, and they said, well, you know, we we're kind of interested in doing this work, and I said, well, the first thing you need to do uh, is to stop using these you know condescending terms for the pro pro life people, you know, anti choice, or my favorite this these days, pro forced birth. That's the one that's, yeah, that's a new now. one. Yeah. That's a new one. Yeah. But you know, you, 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 it, out of respect, you use the term and they, they simply couldn't do it. They absolutely could. They, 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 they tried, but it's so, it was so ingrained in their, in their sort of thought process that they simply could, it was just hard for them just to do just that. So, you know, uh, so those are the sort of the kind of things I learned and, the other, the other, the other thing that, uh, that, that was the process, which I've used now in other, in other topics is it's really important to find out where the commonalities are, the similarities are before you start dealing with the differences. If, because once right. people sort of understand what you agree upon or what, what your common experiences are, then you're in a much better place to be able to have, you know, soulful conversations about, in this case, abortion. And that's why the first thing that we did when we got a group together, the first thing we did was how was have each each uh, person for each group share their stories about what what got them interested in the abortion issue. And what you what you found is that people had similar experiences. You know, they got pregnant in a way they didn't want to get pregnant or they knew somebody who had a really difficult uh, pregnancy. And, and, you know, uh, and and they had but now they, they came it came at it in different ways. But you know, they realized through these stories that they had similar experiences. And that was a very powerful thing for, for them to see that, you know, yes, they, they disagreed on the value, if you will, or the importance of choice or life. Uh, but, you know, but just sharing our stories was a very powerful thing for them to see. And, and the other thing they, they realized is, yes, we, we have certain disagreements, but we fall along a, a continuum. 
So we're not either on one side of the continuum or the other side of the continuum. We might be in the middle someplace on certain issues. Uh, uh, so uh, yeah, there's a lot to be said about all this, but those are the kinds of things that I sort of learned. Uh, but the whole issue of, of the government involvement is, is I think it's something that needs to be talked about more than because, because both people, both groups sort of talk about the, the morality piece. But, and you know, Peter, it's still happening. Like I forgot which governor or senator it was uh, who wants to extend the abortion period to the third trimester. Well, so, it's, yeah, you're right. Well, let me, let me give you a better example, Bob, because you're right. Do you all remember um, that there was a recent story about a 10 year old? This is after Roe was overturned. A 10 year old girl who was raped. You all, I don't know if you remember that story, but uh, I remember it. Yes. Yeah, she remembers it. Well, I remember it well. There was some question about the truth of it, but I well, think but, it but, has but, been but, 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 but yeah. here's what happened. Um, um, there are a lot of people, uh, who said, look, you know, either say, yes, she should have the option or no, she shouldn't. And you could make the case, right? You know, two wrongs to make a right. You know, that she, this, uh, she had violence inflicted on her. You know, should she inflict violence on the baby being carried inside of her? You know, that, that's a, a, a very sensible and soulful argument to be, to be, to be had. But once the government got involved, everything went haywire. You know, the yeah. attorney general of Ohio said it, the rape didn't happen. Then the, then the rapist was, was arrested. Well, I guess it did happen. And, and so she went to Indiana to have the abortion and the Indiana attorney general went after the, the doctor, even though it was legal for her to do that at the time. And it's no longer illegal in Indiana, but the time it was, you know, threatened to go after the doctor. And, the, you know, it was just, it just got much, much uglier than it needed to be, all because yeah, the government got got involved in drugs. Exactly, it should have been way. between it should have been between the the family and the doctor, and that that should be it. I mean, exactly. yeah, the rapist deserved to be arrested. There's no question about that. Right, right, but but but, but this whole idea, well, the rape but didn't for really this to happen. become national news is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and that's part of the social media issue. I mean, there's there's so many things now that influence how information gets out and used or misused now than there used to be. And you know, and, there uh, seems to be another complication too, in a case like this, that you're talking about a minor child, you've got parents who for moral reasons, uh, for lack of a better term, rule minor children about life, not just about what to do as far as an abortion goes. How much of what a parent controls over a minor child plays into the minor child having the abortion that's an interesting question bob and one of the things that 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 the pro-choice folks wrestle with is how much parental how, how much parental consent should be involved right uh so if 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 i'm the parent of a 16 year old girl who, who is pregnant how how Legally, how much legal uh, rights do I have in the circumstances? Can the, my, my daughter go over my head and have the abortion anyway? Now, there, there's disagreement on the pro-choice side about this issue. There are some on the pro-choice side who say, wait a minute, they're parents. They, you know, they, they have a part to play in this. They at least should be notified this is happening. Abortion is a traumatic experience. It's a medical experience. They should have at least knowledge that this is happening at the very least. But there are some people on the pro-choice side who say, look, there are some parents who make this life, uh, who, who, who are so hostile towards abortion that, uh, the daughter will be traumatized if the parents find out about it. Uh, 
you know, the, the parents will throw them out of the house. The parents will do X, Y, and Z. And so it's better for the parents not to know. Well, this is a, this is a controversial topic uh, that divides people on the pro cho- on the pro choice side. Um, uh, we had lots of conversations when I was working on this project about this whole parental rights issue. Um, I should say uh, so that that's an issue that divides the pro choice side and the pro life side. One of the issues that divides pro life is the whole issue of contraception. Uh, there are some people who uh, and it's a minority on the pro life side who believe that. All, most contraception is is not appropriate for whatever reason, and then there are some who think that all contraception is 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 appropriate because it reduces uh you know the, the likelihood of teen pregnancy. Well, the and, Catholic Church is against contraception. That, yeah, that's right. The Catholic Church is very much uh, against contraception, and um and there's without getting it without getting too deeply into the theology of Catholicism, there are plenty of women. Who essentially say, I know I, I'm not supposed to use contraception, but I'm going to do it anyway, and I'm still a good Catholic. My stepmom was that way. She was a very proud Catholic, went to mass every week, uh, you know, talked about her Catholicism with pride, and just said the church is wrong on this contraception piece. I, I, uh, I, you know, if, uh, if I had a daughter, I would encourage her to have contraception. And you know, and there are lots of women who are Catholic who sort of view things that way. Um, but you're right, Bob. Um, and uh, you know, uh, there's lots to be said. And one of one of the one of the other movements that kind of came in, in through the pro life movement, at least it, it was for a while, was really doing everything they could to promote abstinence among teenagers. Right. Um, and you know, making very strong pushes, uh, to, for that and through the churches and also through the school systems to the extent that they could, um, and just through whatever social networking they could do. Um, so I mean, you know, I mean, teenagers are still going to be teenagers. So, but, but, but Becky, um, I, 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 before you go any further, I just want to muddy the words about, about that a little bit because, um, it is absolutely true, uh, that, uh, you know, absence until marriage was, it was a major, uh, theme amongst pro-life people. The problem from my perspective, and this is me sort of observing what was going on in the nineties, and I think it's still the, still maybe, maybe the case now or not, is that the, the way that pro-life people did that was primarily through lecture. You know, don't do yeah. this. Right. The way the pro-choice people dealt with it is uh, they, they of course didn't. You know, they, they, they didn't support abstinence, but what they did do is they, if they said to, to teenage girls, if you don't want to have sex, here's how to role play it. They would actually role play situations. So the girls would have more confidence in saying no to, to their partners who want to have sex with them. You know, they would role play it. They would do certain things to make it, make it so the girls felt more empowered to say no. And I wish there was more of that that went on on the pro-life side. Yeah. We uh we have twenty minutes left in our program. Time is flying well, by. So, so what I, I have would one like... more question I'd like Peter to address uh, if he can, um, oh, and then yeah, quickly. we'll open yeah. it up for questions. Okay. Do it quickly. I, I'm just curious what you think is next now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned. What what where do we go from here with with attempting to to create some kind of dialogue? I am, I am really scared about the, uh, about, uh, potentially what might be going on, not just because abortion is so controversial, but it is controversial within a, uh, within a sea of, of just hostile stuff that's going on, yeah. you know, and I, I'll leave it at that right now because I want people to have a chance to answer questions, 
But so uh, you're listening to In Perspective. I am Bob Branco, and our co-host for today is Becky Davidson. Thank you once again, Becky. And Peter Alcho is our guest talking about common ground with pro-life and pro-choice activists in regards to the abortion issue. Ray, do we have any raised hands at the moment? We do have some raised hands. And um, given we having about three or four people so far, I just want to remind uh, participants when they uh, uh, ask their questions or make their feedback that we just try and just keep the time as a mind frame as, as to where we're uh yeah, basically just to kind of keep it to the topic at hand. And, uh, so first up is Jane. Hi, Jane. Hey. Hello, Jane. Hey, Jane. Uh, hey, I am glad to be here. I am, um, I've had two significant miscarriages in my life. They were tubal pregnancies. I have had two natural childbirth children. Um, and I, early in my life, was absolutely pro-choice. Um, that's what I grew up knowing. As I became a believer, I moved toward pro-life, and that would be my choice today if anything ever happened to where I was pregnant again. But at 75, no. <laughs> um, but I think... It's very hard, and I try to remind people when I talk to them, what would you do right now if you became pregnant? Or what would you do as the father of a a, a child who had been conceived because of your actions? And I think it's really important to hear what people would do, what they're scared spitless about, and go from there. And if then it starts to get just incendiary. I say, well, let's just quit this. We're not talking political party or, you know, any of that. We're talking about what's in your heart and what's in your spirit and what's in your mind. And how can we help you live with that better? And how can we help other people make decisions that make room for people to make choices? And of course, I still want everybody to be pro-life, but of course. Anyway, so Jane, I, 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 I want to make two comments based on your, uh, on your, on your, the first thing is I like how you said I moved, moved towards pro-life. In mm-hmm. other words, you know, it, it's a, it's a continuum, you know, you yes. still have, uh, and, and, and that's, that's a really important concept, uh, when you're doing this common ground thing. Mm-hmm. The other thing I want to say is this whole idea of, 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 um, uh, uh, what was the term you used? I'm drawing a blank. Uh, 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 I'm just I'm a brain freeze where, uh, um, you know, the uh, uh, abortion ends uh, vol- uh, voluntarily. Uh, you know, uh, it's not abortion. It ends. I'm drawing a blank on the word. You, you used it. Um, oh, shoot. Uh, you know, where, where you're pregnant. All of a sudden, Mis- miscarriage. Miscarriage. Thank you. Miscarriage. Thank you. Thank you. Miscarriage. And, um, the reason this has become so relevant is a lot of people are nervous now that Rose overturned on some states. There's doctors are worried that they're going to have to report miscarriages because, you know, the woman can be accused of wanting, you know, causing that miscarriage. And it's just another level of how the government is, is complicating in a really terrible situation. Miscarriage is a terrible thing. 
and, and, you know, how, how would it be if all of a sudden then the woman was charged for, for, for promoting <clears throat> marriage? You know, it's, it's just, it's just something that I wouldn't be want to be a part of, you know, anyway, thank you, Jane, for, for your, comment. you're welcome. Yeah. Thanks, Jane. You're welcome. Thanks. Thank you for being willing to even talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ray. Deanna, you are up next. Hi, Deanna. Hey, Cheers. Hey, <laughs> I was going to be quiet, but I, yeah. Yeah. I've, um, okay. I raised daughters. I was a girl. I saw a lot of pain and suffering about unwanted pregnancies. When I was in the Peace Corps, one of my 11 year olds became pregnant. And was withdrawn from school. And, you know, all of the the trauma of blaming, you know, who was responsible when this happened. And, you know, that was the main concern. And I kept thinking, but she's a little girl. Is anybody listening to her and helping her get through this? She did return to school after the baby was born and another family member, uh, member took the baby. But, you know, during that time, my main concern was the child, the mm-hmm. child I knew and had been teaching, um, the bright, sweet little girl that was caught in the middle of all of this. And I think that's what people have to remember. Yeah. It's, it's it's not in a vacuum and lives are shattered regardless of what decisions are made. Because even if, you know, people don't have abortions lightly, they go through hell. Um, but our system doesn't make it easy for young women who are overwhelmed financially don't have the supports. Um, you know, used to be they had homes for, for pregnant girls that they could go to. Those are very far and few between, um, clinics that they can go to and talk honestly about what they want and what their feelings are, are, are getting fewer and fewer. And it's just a terrible time for those young girls. And that's where my oh. heart is. I, I can tell. I can hear it in your voice. Um, I think the crisis pregnancy centers are are attempting to fill that very large void. And, yeah. and, it, and one of the and things that con- these days, <laughs> it, yes. And one of the things that concerns me is, and, and this is extremism on the other side, mm-hmm. um, people going after and, and damaging crisis pregnancy centers, which is actually denying a woman part of the choices that she should have available to her. Yeah. It's um, wrong. It's wrong for it, anybody. It, yeah. yeah. The yeah. violence needs to stop on it does. everywhere. And it needs to be focused on <clears throat> both the pregnant girl and the baby. But, but mm-hmm. what is best for both of them? Right. Because, you know, if they don't have the money to feed and care for that child, is it fair to force her to have it? If you're not going to help her, if you're not going to be there for her, you know. And that's where I think the pro-life movement, at least in some places, kind of turned the corner and said, let's stop talking about 
abortion itself and let's talk about let's talk about what we can do if i may wouldn't adoption be more of a solution to that problem many parents want to adopt it's not always a solution if you've got um the word that the baby is severely disabled before they're born you know that my my college roommate went through that where she said i didn't tell anybody i was pregnant till i was sure the baby was going to be all right because she was 35 when she got pregnant and uh you know the potential for having a child that was not healthy were high and she didn't even tell me and we were best friends since we were that, sophomores in college that can happen despite abortion it can but she was afraid to tell anyone because she told me i could not raise a mentally impaired child i'd know oh i and so she said and i didn't want to talk to you about it because i didn't want you to say well what if my mother had decided to abort me you know and and so that was a barrier between two best friends who talked about everything. So she faced that alone. Yeah. 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 A couple of things that, 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 Deanna, thank you so much for sharing your, your, your yeah. thing. Um, adoption is, is a viable option, but what, when people sort of say adoption, there are lots of complexities involved, not the least of which is, there are plenty of people with disabilities in the foster care system who nobody wants to adopt. Yeah. You know, or if, if babies if, if, that if, are abandoned because they, their parents are, feel yeah. overwhelmed. Yeah. yeah baby. Yeah. And I mean, nobody it, wants them. Yeah. So right. this idea that, that any, any baby will be adopted if they're born is simply not true. But Peter, what about babies without disabilities who weren't aborted? What about those? What about mixed race children? Nobody <laughs> wants them either. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 this is this is a, 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 this is my opinion. We, if you are if you are if you are a, a white middle aged uh, middle aged maybe if you are a white sort of middle class baby, you know, up for adoption, many people will 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 say, "Hey, I want that baby." The problem is. There are many people who would prefer to get to get a baby from, I don't know, Ukraine, you know, then get it. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's sad. It's, it's, it's sad. And, um, and this whole thing about disability and uh, there's an article that I, I write in my book that, that, that talks about, um, that 66% of people who, who learn while pregnant that th- their kid will be help, will be down syndrome choose to have an abortion. What does that say about us as a society? Mm-hmm. What does that say about us? We we know that um abortions go down if people feel supported, you know, yeah. if they if they have some money, if they have a future, if they if they believe, you know, that uh you know that they have a support system in place, the whole abortion goes down. So um you know and and when we when we're uh, you know you know, and, and the reverse is also true. Abortions go up when the economy is terrible. You know, so one yeah, of the issues when people that, feel financially strapped yeah. and unable to take on another mouth to feed yeah, or yeah. lose a wage earner. We lose it. Yeah. Lose a job or become ill. There are all kinds of reasons why abortions happen. Mm-hmm. And what, and one of the things that, that one of the groups that I talked about, the common group was, 
groups did was to talk about just that. They, they, they uh, lobbied for legislation to make it easier for women with children in the state that they were doing their work in. That's what they chose to do as a group. And can mm-hmm. you imagine having a pro-life and pro-choice groups go, uh, uh, going to a press conference and saying, we disagree on abortion, but we think that the government and, and the community should do much more to support women uh, who, who are pregnant. Yeah. What, a, what, a, what a message. What a message. What a message indeed. And, what a message. You know, yeah. Do we have other raised hands? I, I suspect we do. do. Right. Thank well. you, Deanna. Thanks a bunch, Deanna. We have about three people or so. Uh, Sharon, you are up next. <clears throat> Okay. <clears throat> I was raised with, um, you know, abortion was not an option. You know, you have a Catholic family. And, um, I got to be friends with a woman who was a wonderful mother of four children who confided in me one night that she had had two abortions when she was young. And that really opened my eyes to the fact that it was what she had to do at that time and that didn't make her a bad person and that now she's a wonderful mother. And my guess is that more and more of that is happening now with people because of finances and whatever. Um, I wanted to mention uh, if anybody of you listened to the, the daily, that podcast, there was a really excellent one a couple of weeks ago interviewing um, two women kind of on either side of the abortion things. Both of them had been, um, teenagers, uh, pregnant teenagers and had some traumatic things happen, uh, as a result of that. So I just wanted to bring that to your attention. Mm-hmm. And as for common ground, I'm thinking what we need to focus on is, okay, if you want to say, have this child, how are we going to keep them from being in poverty? You know, cause that's the real issue. And, and that really was one of the issues that people did uh, across the, you know, uh, the continuum did, you know, agree on. You know, what can we do to make it less likely that there'll be as many crisis pregnancies uh, as, as there, as they are or, and were? Uh, we're actually in a better place when it comes to crisis pregnancies than we were back then because people, teenagers are having less sex. Yeah. Uh, so can I jump in for a second and ask a quick question though? When, may I or shall I wait? I don't I, know. I, I think you should wait, Jane. I okay. I'm glad to. Yeah. yeah Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, well, um, that maybe that is, that is so. I don't know. Um, or at least more protected sex. Or protected or, or protect, sex. That, or, that may be true too, but that, maybe but, that's exactly yeah. what it amounts to. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know, and, and now, um, the, the thing that's very scary, I think, is that the, um, medication abortion, which yeah. works really well for a lot of people, doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. And so it's like putting people back into the whole thing of like, you know, the abortion in the back alley. And it's, it's very, very scary. Um, so I, I, I'm heartbroken about the, the, the Roe versus Wade. And, um, I really feel for the, for the doctors and nurses, um, who are trying to make decisions every day, you know, their, their lives have gotten much more complicated very fast. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Thank Sharon. You. Yes. Ray. How much time yes. do we have? Um, phone number any. Uh, six six five. You're up next. Hi everybody. This, this is Michael Garrett. Garrett. Michael. Hi. And I'm gonna and I'm gonna come at this uh, from a from a from a a, a reverend's standpoint uh, because I mm-hmm. I believe that there are a lot of things that you you said. I I agree with Peter. 
and and and, uh, and Becky, you brought up a point that was very interesting. But in, in a brief time, I believe that you cannot separate the moral aspect of abortion. It it is a it is a moral uh, case, uh, and everybody talks about the abortion. We get to the pro life, the question of pro life, pro choice. Uh, and Becky, you brought up the part about abstinence. I think there should be more focus on on that, on, on abstinence, and you know we went through the free love. Uh, era back in the late 1960s, and and it, it seems as though morality just went, you know, free. And you you cannot separate the moral aspect of this of this whole issue. And there's so many things that that that, that are involved in here. You know, government. Uh, Peter, I like your 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 talk about guys getting involved but yes we are involved because there's a guy who got the girl pregnant yeah yeah mm-hmm. so so like i just want to i want to push back a little bit uh on your comment about it. it is absolutely true that we were uh free love and all of that and that that plays into this but not as much as 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 i thought um you know a, a lot of the folks who are seeking abortions are teenagers they are as, as somebody pointed out deanna i think there are adults with two or three other children and for whatever reason uh, get pregnant and, and can't believe they can't, uh, support another, a child. Or maybe, maybe that, maybe the child has a disability, a se- severe disability, and just they don't feel they're in a place to be able to support it. Uh, and, and I, I think the statistic is there are more people with abortions in their, uh, who are having abortions in their twenties and thirties than they are as teenagers. And many of whom are married. You know, so morality is still an issue. I don't disagree with you at all, Mike. Right. Uh, but, but, you know, uh, it, it's it's not just teenagers getting. We involved. have about a half a minute left in the program, folks. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Hi, Peter from Sam. Yes, Sam. Hi. I was sad that I didn't get a chance to uh, say anything much, but I just wanted to tell you, if you ever have this again, that um, I would really, really love people to stop. <laughs> You know, everyone has this idea of what's right and what's wrong and what's moral and not and what they agree with. But I wish people would concentrate more on the health of the woman mm-hmm. rather, you know, because there is a huge health thing here that having a baby is not this just popping out. A, <laughs> it, it's a huge deal. And sometimes, you know, people die from having children and when you're 20 is worlds apart from when you're 10 or even 15. Um, even people in, in, in the, um, age of appropriate having children sometimes get issues and die. So childbirth is not easy. And I wish people, you know, it, it can depend on what the woman is going through. So I wish people would concentrate a little more on that as well. Thank you, Sam. And with what you're absolutely correct. Whether a child, in other words, even if a woman never wanted to have an abortion, that's still a similar risk that you're talking about, as far as the health of a child is concerned. But, but, but the, the, not as much. The, the maternal, the maternal uh, uh, mortality rate in pregnancy is is so high in this country compared to other countries. I mean, yes. we are we, we are almost third world when it comes to this stuff, especially if you come yep. from, from poor backgrounds, and it's really that's right. 
embarrassing. It, it really is embarrassing. Uh, and, and, I and agree. there's no reason for it. There's absolutely no reason for it. Uh, but education is a big thing. Well, but also better health care is, yes, of yes, course, that's you're right. right. But better health care is even more important than education. You know, I mean, you know, why, why are people, why are uh, people who are African American women who are African American uh, dying? I can't remember, you know, significantly more in childbirth than white people. You know, why is that? You know, it really, it really, you know, this is, this is, this is a serious conversation. It, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, thank you, Sam. And I don't want to. Um, and good job so, today. Thank you very much. It was it was great to listen. I would like to thank Peter for participating today as a guest. And this subject is very controversial, very thought provoking, and there, there are a lot of points on both sides. And I'm glad that Peter expressed it to all of us today. And thank you once again, Peter and Becky. Again, thank you for taking the time to facilitate sure. in regards to. Being an assistant co-host today. <laughs> okay. And I, I thank you. Once again. I thank you too, Becky. Indeed. Oh, you're welcome. Next week we have an author coming on the program. Her pen name is Feather Shell, and she's going to talk about her book called Whispers. So that's all, that ought to be a good program. Thank you very much, everybody, including Ray, our host, and Peter and Becky and our participants. Go safe with God's abundant blessings, and take care, everybody.